This is the Simi Sarah Show On Demand. Subscribe now on iTunes. Listen to the show each weekday 10 to 2 on 980 CKNW and through the Radio Player app. So here is our hot question of the day. It is game time tonight. Toronto Raptors facing off against the Golden State Warriors. Game 1, NBA Finals tonight. Who will you be cheering for? Will you Do you say the Raptors? Yes. Hashtag we the North. Or do you say it's the Warriors? They're going to win again. They always win. Who would be rooting for those guys? Vote on Twitter. At CKNW on Twitter is where you will find the hot question of the day. Give me a call on the buzz line today about that or anything that you hear on the show today. 604-331-BUZZ is the number to call. 604-331-2899. When you're on Twitter, please give me a follow while you're there at Mike Smith News on Twitter, S M Y T H. At Mike Smith News on Twitter, you'll find the hot question of the day there as well. All right, welcome back to the show. It's Mike Smith and for Simi today as we continue to follow this uh, breaking story at this hour is the new drama unfolding at the BC legislature right now where some key officials of the legislature have announced uh, they're resigning. The sergeant at arms, the acting sergeant at arms, his name is Randy Ennis. He has announced that he will resign uh, by the end of the week. His deputy has also announced that he is leaving. The liberals are saying that Speaker Daryl Plekis is out of control, uh, once again investigating around the legislature. What's going on now is that Plekis has hired an IT consulting company to come in and clone the PC's computer records of a bunch of key officials in the legislature. So Plekis is saying that he is trying to preserve computer records in the building. He has brought in experts to essentially create mirror images of all the files on the computers of some of these key legislature officials. There was an emergency meeting at the building last night. The acting clerk of the legislature, Kate Ryan Lloyd, very widely respected official here in public servant in BC. She left that meeting in tears. Now there are more crisis meetings going on at the legislature right now. Andrew Wilkinson, leader of the BC Liberal Party, says very critical of Plekis, of course, a former liberal MLA. They kicked him out of the Liberal Party after he decided to become the speaker. He says that uh, Plekis is essentially out of control, and Wilkinson is calling for the legislature to stay in session until this is all cleared up. This is supposed to be the last day of the session. They are going out with the bang. Let's check in now with Keith Baldry out of breath as he just yeah. comes in from the circus outside. Keith, what's going on out there? Yeah, hi, Dram over here today, Mike. Uh, the place is in an uproar. The staff <coughs> completely demoralized over the actions of the speaker. Uh, last night, the speaker and his special aide and an unknown gentleman with computer equipment entered the clerk's private office, the sergeant-at-arms private office. I'm told by one of the house leaders that they took copies of the hard drives away wow. with them. Uh, there's a lot of tension over here today, a lot of emotions. Randy Ennis, the incredibly highly regarded sergeant in arms, the guy who took over from Gary Lenz, right. who's the guy under investigation. Randy Ennis is seen by everybody here 
and, and the uh, premier just paid tribute to him in the legislature as a man of the highest integrity. He's quitting today. He's taking early retirement. Uh, we're told he hasn't said any official statement, but his staff are talking on his behalf, saying he's quitting because he can't uh, take the actions of the speaker anymore. That uh, the speaker was it. The speaker try to get his computer. Yep. Try, okay. Yep. Took uh, took copies of his hard drive. Uh, so he did get these copies, did he? Is that what we understand? My, my understanding is he did. Now the other uh, thing I can tell you, the liberals are now considering holding caucus meetings off-site. <laughs> they think the speaker has the potential of bugging their offices. Oh my God! They one of Andrew Wilkinson's top staff members slept in his office last night in Wilkinson's office to ensure there was no one coming into their office. Chief, okay, Keith, you mentioned that the place is in an uproar here with Speaker Daryl Plekis and uh, seeking to create copies of computer hard drives of key officials around the legislature and a lot of people unhappy about it we've seen some resignations this week we saw the the clerk uh, in tears last night in a meeting you were telling me the liberals are really angry about this and tell me more about uh, an official slept overnight in the liberal leader's office what is that to make sure that Plekis isn't snooping around there what's going on andrew wilkinson ran into uh, the speaker his special assistant alan mullen and an unidentified gentleman carrying computer equipment in the hallways late last night going into the clerk's office going into the sergeant arms office and felt uh, that these guys have a passkey for every office in the legislature and that uh, his one of his senior staff members took it upon himself to uh, stay overnight in that office to ensure the speaker did not uh, enter the opposition leader's office and try to look at their computers. Now, I don't think necessarily they're being paranoid at all. Given what's going on around here uh, and, and how staff here, I mean, I'm talking about liberal staff or NDP staff, just the staff of the legislature who make this place go work here all the time, 365 days a year, are not politically affiliated. They are increasingly outraged as what they see the behavior of the speaker's office. And, and they are becoming alarmed as well that everybody's vulnerable, which is a big reason why, and I've reported this, uh, there is a unionization drive underway at the legislature where everybody's looking at, at forming a union and taking on the speaker's office and it's uh, it's unprecedented unheard of but as I say the atmosphere around here is highly electric right now and the staff are very demoralized because of what's happened to Randy and it's again the probably the most respected staff member we've ever seen around the legislature is decided he's had enough of the of the speaker uh, and that uh, he's calling it quits today okay does Daryl Plekis is the speaker in the place he's he's essentially the top guy in the building right and as you mentioned he's got a skeleton key for every office mm -hmm. he can go into any office so he, i guess he's physically able to go into these offices if you want does he have the authority to go into these offices and create copies of computer hard drives on these officials well, he where, think, does, where does he think he gets this, this authority? Is he allowed to do that? He thinks he is. I don't see, again, given the traditions of the, of the legislature, the speaker's powers are paramount, which is why you've got this extraordinary situation of the House leaders frantically trying to figure out how they deal with this guy. And, and, and by the operatives uh, he's hired, apparently he's also hired a security company on his own uh, called Forensic Services or something, which is uh, going to do computer searches. And it's, it's uh, unprecedented, which is why you've got uh, increasingly people here very nervous and upset. Cabinet ministers have to be on their guard. Their computers are of extreme sensitivity. And again, talking to one cabinet minister who says, what's going on here? Do I have to take my computer off-site here? Uh, and you've got, again, the Liberals now thinking of holding caucus meetings off-site because they're literally worried that the Speaker's office is going to bug their office. What could Plekis conceivably be looking for? There are other investigations still underway here at the legislature. There's a police investigation. There's two special prosecutors mm -hmm. in place. There's a forensic audit being done by the Auditor General. There is a workplace review into other allegations of bullying and harassment and other problems. 
that's being done by a third party as well. Blackus officially is not really involved directly in these investigations, is he? I mean, well, what, is, what is he doing? What is he looking for? His assistant, for? Alan Mullen, for some time was saying he was talking regularly to police and he was reporting yeah. to police. Uh, the sergeant arms staff and other staff here have told me that the, if there's a bully in this place, it's, it's the speaker. And this has now become a toxic work site. Uh, if this was any other company, there would be a huge human resources investigation here of the top management, which is the speaker's office. And it's, again, it's unprecedented and it's fascinating to watch, but I can tell you a lot of nerves are on edge here today because of what's been going on. Okay, let's take a quick break, Keith, and then we'll come back uh, and talk more about this. If you want to weigh in on the open line, I'll throw the phone lines open right now. What do you think about what you're hearing? I mean, Plekis had emerged as a bit of a hero in the aftermath of all this drama here, but boy, he's got a lot of people upset at the legislature today. This guy's been a bull in a china shop, and the china's getting busted up again today at the legislature. Do you have confidence in this guy? Phone me and tell me what you think. 604 280-9898 is the number to call. 604-280-9898, star 9898 on your cell. This is Mike Smith. We'll be back right after this. Let's go south of the border now with the political drama there. And the question around U.S. President Donald Trump is to impeach or not to impeach the president. Special counsel Robert Mueller yesterday said charging President Trump with the crime was not an option under federal rules and precedents, but he used his first Republic remarks on the Russia investigation yesterday to emphasize he did not exonerate Trump. Have a listen. And as set forth in the report, after that investigation, if we had had confidence that the president clearly did not commit a crime, we would have said so. We did not, however, make a determination as to whether the president did commit a crime. The introduction to the volume two of our report explains that decision. All right. That's uh, Robert Mueller speaking yesterday. U.S. President Donald Trump today taking a crack back at Mueller. Have a listen. Look, Robert Mueller should have never been chosen because he wanted the FBI job and he didn't get it. And the next day he was picked a special counsel. So you tell somebody, I'm sorry, you can't have the job. And then after you say that, he's going to make a ruling on you. It doesn't work that way. All right. Trump said that Mueller was always one of those never Trumper move members that never Trump movement that uh, were fighting the president. Let's talk about the situation now. We got our great panel assembled. Brian Kennedy is the president of the Can-Am Consulting Group in San Diego. Brian, Hey, Mike. Nice thanks. to be speaking with you again. Brian, thanks for coming on. Karen Cataline, also on the line. She's the host of the Spouting Off talk show. She's in Denver. I'm very pleased to welcome her back. Hello, Karen. Hi, Brian, and hi, Mike. Good to be with you again. Hey, Karen, welcome back. Guys, Brian, let me go to you first. Your thoughts on what Mueller had to say today and what Trump said uh, today as well. Well, it's interesting. First of all, the first thing that came out of the report that uh, Mueller wanted everybody to understand is Russia interfered in the election campaign. Absolutely. Unequivocally, it was systematic. There's no old card. If you don't believe it, read the, read the report. Secondly, as you pointed out here, he made it clear I could not charge or I could not indict a sitting president under Department of Justice you know, <coughs> rules, policy. Right. And third... And, and as you alluded to, I could not exonerate the president. There's no evidence to exonerate him. Congress, I've laid out a roadmap for you to do your job. If you want to do that job of impeachment, 
there's the road because that's as far as I can go is my report. So Karen, you made it pretty clear. Karen, your thoughts on Mueller? Well, <laughs> I have uh, Mueller's speech here in front of me, and he says, I quote, and I quote, if we had had confidence that the president clearly did not commit a crime, we would have said so. Right. Now, <clears throat> anybody with half a brain knows that uh, you, don't, you don't have evidence that a person did not commit a crime. That is not how our justice system works. And if, if in fact, to, to Brian's point, you are going to uh, claim that Russia involved itself in our elections, which, of course, they've been doing for decades and haven't had much impact, then uh, it's a huge leap of logic to say that Trump somehow colluded with Russia. None of that is true. There are no facts. And I would like to ask Brian, uh, the, um, the people are constantly saying all the, the <clears throat> excuse me, I just got back from Hawaii in my honeymoon, so I'm brain dead. Um, oh, congratulations. <laughs> when I would have stayed um, in Hawaii. people say that the president must be held accountable, my question to Brian would be, accountable for what? There's no evidence, no okay. facts, nothing. Brian. Okay, so let me, okay, Karen, let me just go through this in, in real time here and reality. Uh, first of all, Mueller laid out at least 10 incidents of possible obstruction. Okay. Possible. I can, I can go. No, well, yeah, because he couldn't charge him. That's the point. Yeah, but he where's the evidence? Well, Don't me give finish, me possible. Me give me evidence. Well, no. Well, he did. They wouldn't. It's been redacted, so no one has the full report. All we've got is there is what would happen. All the evidence has been redacted by William Barr. Okay, the now, attorney that's general. your assumption that there is evidence. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. There, well, nobody has ever said that there was any evidence at all. Okay. Hang on, guys. Hang I'm, on, I'm, going to, well. I'm going to insist that you don't speak over over each other. But, Brian, let me let me ask you this. Do you think Trump should be impeached? Do you think that the Democrats should start impeachment proceedings against this president? At this point in time, no. I don't think he should be impeached. I think that's exactly what he wants to do. And uh, so that he can play the martyr role in 2020. I think they should go on and do what they're supposed to do hold investigative hearings, call witnesses. And Robert Mueller said he didn't want to testify. You know, he was finished with it all. I say you subpoena Robert Mueller and have him appear in public again because that's what sent Trump off on a real temper tantrum this morning. And I just want to say one other thing, Karen. If you paid attention this morning, Donald Trump's tweet this morning, earlier this morning, I did not personally have anything to do with Russia helping my campaign. So here he is saying, well, Russia helped my campaign, but I personally had nothing to do with it. Not three hours yeah, later, on the lawn of the White House, on the lawn of the White House, he turns right around and says, oh, Russia had nothing to do with the campaign. They helped Hillary Clinton, not me. So how can it change? Every single okay, one of these charges, the left is clinging, desperately clinging to something that will destroy Donald Trump. And they look more and more ridiculous all the time. His tweet was a poorly placed uh, wording for sure. <laughs> but I have Absolutely. seen not one shred, not one shred of evidence that if Russia, 
involved itself in our elections, which there is some evidence. The only evidence there is is that they spent $200,000 on Facebook ads that not only did it not change the election, but there is every motive that Russia had a greater motive to elect Hillary than Trump because Russia paid the Clintons $140 million for 20% of our uranium. The entire uh, thing is- insults people's intelligence. Karen, well, let, me, let, let me ask you. Karen, let me ask you. Some more. Okay, let me Sorry, let me ask Karen one quick question, Brian. Karen, there is some movement to start impeachment proceedings against this president. If the Democrats did go down this road, do you think it would backfire on them? They go after Trump for impeachment. Heck yeah, and that's why I think they should do it. You got you got evidence. Number one, they're claiming that whatever is redacted that we can't see is evidence. Is this the way we charge people in the United States of America? We say we're going to look for evidence in search of a crime. This whole entire Mueller investigation, there was not one bit of grounds for doing the investigation in the first place. People need to remember there were about 17 Democrat hack lawyers who all used this as a insurance policy when when Donald Trump won the presidency and they didn't want him to. Now, guess what, Brian? There's actual evidence of that. Struck oh, yeah, and really? Cage really? used the insurance Evidence that they used an insurance policy to frame Donald Trump, and they still, after all of those Democrat hacks, could not come up with any evidence whatsoever. And guess what? Nobody's investigating that, but guess what? They're going to. Brian, really quickly, and then we'll take a break. Okay. Very quickly, Richard Nixon didn't break into the Watergate building. Other people did. Richard Nixon, crime, he obstructed the investigation into the investigation. That was the crime that he got impeached for. So there's You're an example right there. You're reaching for something that does not exist. Wait a minute here. Let me finish, because i got to do this very quickly. One other thing. All you have to do is go back to Helsinki. When Vladimir Putin sat right, stood right next to Donald Trump and said, yes, indeed, I helped the Trump campaign, because I wanted him to win. And that was Vladimir Putin in front of everybody. Okay. Star 9898 on your cell. Hi, Scott. You know, um, as a Canadian who, in the in the in the eighties, actually went to California and volunteered for the Republicans, uh, specifically Ronald Reagan. I, I am just so horrified at what the Republican Party has become. You know, Donald Trump is, as a father of daughters alone, his public comments about women and girls. Are you? How can you be proud to have him as the leader of your nation? He, he lies. He, he, he lies. He lies okay. more okay. than th- anybody. His lies are in the tens of thousands now. Okay, I think we got it. Karen, oh, that's, how do you respond? That's a lie. Tens <laughs> of thousands of lies? He's an exaggerator, yes. Is he an everyday guy? He's, he's, he's a blue-collar billionaire is what he is. And you know what? In the times that we were in before Donald Trump, immediately before, we had a president who was spying on his political enemies, and none of the left or the Democrats were worried about that. We were in a death spiral towards socialism. Donald Trump has been the only one with the guts to take on the corruption and the swamp. I don't need to like everything he does. I don't even need to like everything or agree with him all the time. We've never had a president who took on 
the borders, the problem of the borders, the safety of this country and security. We've never had a president who's lowered the unemployment rate, lower than it's been in history for for African-Americans and Hispanics. And nobody wants to talk about that because they know he will expose the corruption that was in our government. Brian Kennedy. Yeah, first of all, no one wants to talk about it because Trump doesn't even want to talk about it. All he cares sure he about does. is going down and raising all the time. He yeah, he does not. He, listen to the press conferences on the lawn, the, the mini press conferences. It's very seldom you hear him talk about the economy. Even today, he went after Mueller. That's what all he had in his mind was to go after Mueller, even though he's going to make someone else about immigration. Well, let me finish. I, yeah, let me finish, okay? Yeah, I've seen his rallies. You think because you get 10,000 people out to a rally? First of all, you've got to be vetted before you can go to those rallies. So let's be clear about that, too. You just don't walk in off the street and allow it into one of those rallies. So maybe you should go to one or two of them, and then you'll know. I did. Secondly, okay, well, secondly, then you know I'm right. Secondly, let's, I give him credit for the economy. I think under Barack Obama, the economy was headed in the right direction. Under Donald Trump, it's gone even higher. But he likes to use these wedge issues like immigration and, you know, keeping the country safe. This country was built on immigrants. This, this person that just called, he meant to say 10,000 lies, not tens of thousands of lies, because that's been, been reported. And second, you know, he talked about Ronald Reagan. Well, Ronald Reagan is Mr. Conservative probably to most conservatives across the United States. He gave amnesty to millions of illegal immigrants to get rid of the yeah. problem. Okay. They obviously, they kept on coming. Let's go back to the Brian, phone calls. This country was built on immigration. It was not built on illegal immigration. Thank you. Thank you for that, Karen. Let's go back to the phone calls. Brian on the open line. Hi. Hi. I just uh, I think that woman there is just off a rocker. I think that all the sycophants that are around Trump and that support Trump uh, need to look in a mirror when all this dust settles because they're going to come on the wrong side of history and it's going to be really embarrassing for them it's disgusting that these people hold them up in any regard the guy's a failure as a human being in, in every step you think he's going to get reelected? yes i do because i do i think they're just a, a bunch of imbeciles karen how do you respond i got no response if you think this yeah. is failure then i guess you wanted america to uh consider failure the new normal under obama this is not failure well, this is america returning to its right. uh its roots yeah. and I, i'm, I'm not, not a, get in, a fan you know, of trump Karen, by the Karen, way i'm not going to get into his trade policies and all these tariffs that he's imposed because all you have to do is go and ask the farmers in the midwest or the farmers out here in california and find out what's happened to their crops and how they're not being sold and how this government now we've already bailed out the farmers to 12 billion now we have another what 18 to 22 billion to bail out the farmers because of these tariffs. You know, if I'm from Canada, I'd call that a subsidy. And when they're arguing trade, I'd be saying you are subsidizing your farmers with all of this money because of your stupidity on tariffs. Let's go. We were, we were subsidizing foreign countries on trade. And so now it's in the reverse because it's in the process of being negotiated. Let's you don't turn in. an ocean ri- liner around uh, overnight. Let's squeeze in one more call. Ron on the open line. Hi. Hey, I, I just want to say that I think what's going on is the uh, the intelligence community in the United States is there's a battle going on right now. It's being exposed that they were using the, the FISA court to illegally spy on Americans. Right. For years, and, and uh, President Obama 
was using that also to go after his political enemies, and Trump was involved in that, and Comey is involved in that, and they're all involved in that. And what, what's happening right now right. is a huge battle to keep this secret. Trump's trying to expose it. He's going to expose it. And Okay. Okay, we just got a minute left. Thank you for the call. We just got a minute left. Brian, do you think uh, Joe Biden, if he emerges as the Democratic candidate, which I think he Joe may... Biden will, Joe he Biden will he... beat Donald Trump. Joe Biden will beat Donald Trump. Donald Trump knows that right now, that Biden is his biggest fear, and Biden will take over that Rust Belt because they like Biden better they do Trump in those states that Trump needs to win in 2020. So put your money down on Biden. Catalina. Oh, Karen, Karen Cataline. Karen, I, I think we all ought to have a, a bet about it. I don't think Biden is going to beat Donald Trump. Biden has so many skeletons in his closet, he'll scare Halloween. <laughs> all right, well, guys. That's a good one. I like that one. Thank you, Karen. Yeah. Thank you, Brian. Well, Karen. If anybody would like to connect with me, Karen, even if you hate what I said, uh, Karen Cataline on Twitter. Thank you, okay. Karen. That's Karen. Karen. I just want to congratulate you on your wedding. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate it very much. Always great talking to you. All right. Thank you, guys. And, and Mike. Thank you. Thank you to both of you. It was nice of you to finish up on a, on a nice, warm, friendly note there. I appreciate that. It's Brian Kennedy, the Can-Am Consultant Group in San Diego, California. Karen Cataline, she's the host of the Spouting Off talk show. She is in Denver. Let's talk about ICBC now and whether your car insurance is going to keep going up, up and away. The continuing problems over at the public auto insurer. Interesting development this week where the John Horgan government backed down at least a little bit on one unpopular controversial plan to hit drivers with a $50 annual fee to cover occasional drivers on their car so if you had someone that occasionally drove your car your kid maybe a neighbor something like that maybe someone who drops your your kids off at a school or something if they drove that car fewer than 12 times a year uh, ICBC is potentially looking for a list of names and then charge you an annual $50 fee and then potentially and crank up your auto insurance rate as well on top of that. The government did a back down partially on that this week, although if you have young drivers in your family who occasionally use that vehicle, you will still be looking at getting dinged on that. Meanwhile, you've got a new rate structure coming in for your auto insurance premiums this fall. Some interesting bracing on that. If you are a so-called bad driver... You could be paying more, but it all depends on how you define a bad driver. It all gets down to the eternal debate in this province as well of whether we should go to private auto insurance. Let's check in with Chris Sims now, BC Director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, who's been following this one closely. Hiya, Chris. Hi, thanks for having me on. Great, thanks for coming on. What do you think about this, first of all, this decision by the government to kind of partially back down on this $50 surcharge for occasional driver? Well, it's a smart decision because people were freaking out about it and they were really mad and rightly so. Um, I think what people are mostly mad about, though, is the fact they don't have a choice. And as you point out, this doesn't apply to young drivers. Right. So say you're a married couple or a couple living together, whatever, and your young person who's a new driver is in your home, you're still going to be paying through the nose uh, with ICBC and with this new fee as well tacked onto it. So 
we need to keep that in mind, where I think that's usually the scenario. Uh, okay. For most people, they'll have a young person who's the occasional driver. It's not usually an adult. But isn't it fair to charge people more for their insurance if you have a younger driver be occasionally behind the wheel because they're, they're a higher-risk driver? Yeah, absolutely. I yeah. think the, the catch here, though, is the reason why we're paying so much extra here in B.C., even in that scenario, is, is because we don't have a choice. Remember that study that came out just a few months ago? That was the big astounding difference in the number. They had an example of a couple living in Langley with a young driver who used their Honda Accord to commute to work. They were paying $830 more per year than the exact same couple would in Edmonton. So same people, same driving record, same vehicle, same usage, but more than $800 more because it's a monopoly here in B.C. and it's not in Alberta. Okay, ICBC right now is getting ready to roll out what they call a new rate structure uh, for your auto insurance. That's coming this fall. And the way the government has spun this one, Chris, is that they want to make auto insurance premiums more fair and reflective of the actual risk of the driver behind the wheel. So if you're a quote-unquote good driver, your insurance premiums would conceivably go down. If you are a bad driver, so you've racked up a bunch of speeding tickets or you've been in some at-fault accidents, your insurance premiums would go up. Does this make sense to you? I mean, on the surface, most people would consider themselves to be a good driver and would say potentially bring it on. Yeah, I like the idea of cheaper insurance. What are your thoughts? That's a great point, and there's a lot to tease out there. So one, uh, your spidey sense on what is in, what is and isn't a good driver is a good one. Yeah. Because we need to remember that I think it's something crazy. Like 80% of BC drivers uh, here in this province qualify for the good driver discount, which is the 40% discount. That being so, we still pay the highest rates in Canada. Like, that's staggering. And so that should have been a clue for a lot of us that in order to bring in even more money to try to pay down that dumpster fire they've got, that they might move the goalposts on what qualifies as a, quote, good driver. So that sounds like that's exactly what they're doing in the fall. And we're going to have to wait to see what that actually means for an average driver. Does that mean that a tiny nudge in a parking lot, which still shouldn't happen, but if that happened, does that automatically mean you no longer are a good driver, right. even though you've been a very good driver for decades? And we also need to keep in mind the way that they phrased it. They didn't say that good drivers would be paying less. Good drivers will be paying less than they otherwise would have been, is what they said. Right, they're paying less more. Yes, less more, my L friend. Less more. It's so still they, going up, but so not by as much. Right, so your rates might go up, mm -hmm. but it wouldn't go up as much as it would have been otherwise. So yes. you pay less more for your less insurance. More. Everyone's going to pay, pay more, but I just wonder what the public reaction is going to be to this in the fall when the government finally rolls out and says, okay, this you are a good driver or a bad driver. I got a feeling there may be a lot of people out there who think, them, think of themselves as good drivers, but ICBC might have another opinion. Yes, exactly. What happens yeah. if they, they decide that, you know, that minor speeding ticket you had years ago now disqualifies you as being a good driver? What if they demand a driver's abstract going back 20 years instead of just a few mm. years? Like, you never know. They have data on all of this stuff. They know what your driving record is. 
And if they're going to arbitrarily change it, then really that's up to the electorate. And I think both you and Keith Baldry have been right when they say that ICBC is going to be a major election issue. And this is why. This is money out of your pocket and you're forced to pay it. I think so, too. I'm speaking to Chris Sims, Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Chris, I I think that ICBC could be a key election issue here going forward, especially when you got the Liberals now saying, let's talk about private insurance. I mean, if you try to pin down Andrew Wilkinson, the Liberal leader on this, and I tried to do it yesterday on the show, about precisely what he's talking about when he says we need more choice in auto insurance in this province, what he's saying is we'll do a review and then we'll put everything on the table, including competition, full competition on basic auto insurance from private insurance providers. That's being put on the table by the Liberals here now. Is that is it time to have that conversation in this province? Should people be allowed to buy private auto insurance? Oh, it absolutely is. Uh, It's well past the time. Uh, We need to remember that when ICBC was first brought into British Columbia under the then Dave Barrett government, Gunsmoke was literally the top TV show. That was back when governments used to own things like telecom companies. Uh, the world has changed dramatically. And we only need to look at our neighbors, for example, in Alberta, who are allowed, I can't believe I'm using that term for adults, allowed to shop around for their car insurance. And so, yeah, bad drivers will sometimes pay more. Good drivers, in most cases, will pay a heck of a lot less. And they're allowed to pick their insurance. And you can bundle it with, like, your home insurance, your content insurance. If you've got a quad, like an ATV or a snow machine or a motorbike, you can do that, too. You pay less for your campers. Um, when you do an apples-to-apples comparison uh, between B.C. and Alberta, they pay way less than us. And I just I can't see the harm of having more choice and being able to shop around. And the, the thing that we're offering is, hey, if you guys like collective insurance and you don't want to get rid of it completely, fine. Turn ICBC into a co-op, so it's similar to a credit union. So those folks who like that form of insurance, not everybody does, but those who do like it can keep it. But then let the rest yeah. of us schmucks actually shop around and try to save a few dollars. Yeah, in sort of like, it's hundreds of dollars a year. Right, and make ICBC compete against the private sector. Exactly. If they're so good, get them to compete. Uh, Imagine a grocery store. Imagine we only had one grocery store chain in all of BC and the government ran it. Chris, thanks for coming on today. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate it. Chris Sims, the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Let's talk a little hoops action tonight. The Toronto Raptors tonight making their NBA Finals debut. They will host the reigning champion Golden State Warriors in Game 1 of the NBA Finals tonight. The Raptors got home court here, but not a lot of people uh, giving them much of a chance to lift the trophy at the end of this series. Are they underestimating the Toronto Raptors? Let's check in now with Squire Barnes, Sports Guy Supreme at Global BC. Hey, Squire. How you doing, Mike? Hey, thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate it. Like, I, I thought you did a really good tweet earlier today pointing out that the Raptors season, we actually had a piece of it because we had a preseason game here, right? Yes, well, preseason and the training camp. Yeah, right. They held the training camp at Fortius, which is that sports complex in Burnaby, which was really not too far from where our office is, where Global Television is. But, yeah, they were there. They've been there, I think, three of the last four years. They even had their training camp in Victoria a couple of years ago. They like coming out here to start the season. So the other thing, too, is before I I lose this uh, thought, um, Alex McKechnie, who's been a, a sports doctor in this area for years, hooked up with the Raptors a number of years ago, and uh, you, if you if you know who he is, you can always see him behind the Raptors vet, bench, dressed oh. very resplendently. But he has been a big key in keeping Kawhi Leonard upright most of the year. 
Oh, yeah. But, so there's yeah, another that... little Vancouver angle because McKechnie's career was basically made in Vancouver. What's your take, Squire, on the public appetite for this series in, in Vancouver? I mean, I think it's a damn shame that we lost the Vancouver Grizzlies and we're not an NBA city anymore. It's been a long time since we had NBA in Vancouver. But I don't know. There seems to be a lot of interest here in the Raptors locally. Oh, I think there is. I think there's yeah. a huge amount of interest all across the country. I mean, the Raptors, after the Grizzlies left, and it took a bit of a, a while to figure this out, I think the Raptors, for example, as we just said, you know, having their training camp on the West Coast, have reached out to sort of try to become Canada's team in much the same way the Blue Jays did after the Expos left. And it's worked, you know, the We the North campaign and things like this. You know, if this was the Maple Leafs in the Stanley Cup final, you would yeah. not see Vancouverites on board, except right. for the, <laughs> the crew that goes to every Leafs game uh, at Rogers Arena every year and cheers, you know, for Toronto. But the Raptors, it doesn't feel like a Toronto team, I think, to a lot of people. It feels like a Canadian team. Okay, do you think the Raptors are getting disrespected here in their chances to win this series? I mean, I was listening to people like Stephen A. Smith and Colin Cowherd does all sort of dumping on the Raptors. They got no hope. What are your thoughts? Well, I think they have hope. Um, I, you know, I, I would say this. If Kevin Durant was healthy, yeah. I would not think the Raptors would have a hope because they would just have too much firepower on the other side. Kevin Durant isn't playing tonight. We don't know when he'll be back, maybe game two, and when he comes back, will he be 100%? Probably not. So that gives the Raptors hope. I mean, one thing about Toronto, I mean, Kawhi Leonard has been a beast in the playoffs, has been the best player in the playoffs by far. But Toronto's real strength is its defense, and it has a lot of guys besides Kawhi Leonard who can play very strong defense. We saw it against Milwaukee, and, and, you know, they basically shut down the Greek freak, after two games, and he was confused and befuddled. Like, he did not look like the league MVP, which he might be. Now, the difference in this series, Mike, is unlike what Antetokounmpo had in Milwaukee, when he was surrounded by three Raptors, he passed off, and the other guys couldn't make the shots. In Golden State, they have guys who can make those shots. They have Steph Curry, they have Clay Thompson, guys on the outside. That is Toronto's biggest biggest problem, is how do they deal with the outside shooting the Golden State Warriors have. Yeah, I think I'm a basketball fan, Squire. I'm looking forward to this to this series, but I got to say I find it frustrating sometimes that you got this dynasty over there with Golden State who seen or in the finals every single year. They're loaded with those superstars as you mentioned Stephen Curry and Kevin Durant. I, they're just not an appealing team to me. Um, I would love to see the Raptors pull this off and pull the upset. I mean, I think that'd be awesome. What, what do you think the Raptors got to do to do that? Defense is key, I guess, huh? Oh, defense is key. Yeah. I mean, they've got to find a way um, to basically disrupt the outside shooting. Because yeah. with, if Kevin Durant doesn't, let's say Kevin Durant doesn't play in this entire series, then Golden State doesn't have the interior guy to worry about as much. They don't have to worry about Kevin Durant down low. Now they can, they can concentrate their defense more on the outside guys. That's not to say that you know, a Draymond Green is not going to score down low for Golden State, but really, without Kevin Durant, it falls in the hands of Steph Curry and Klay Thompson, the Splash Brothers. If they can deal with those two, and, you know, and make Golden State deal with Kawhi Leonard. I mean, that's the other thing. It isn't all about defending them. Uh, you know, Golden State has to worry about Kawhi Leonard. But if they can somehow neutralize or at least slow down 
that outside shooting. Then Toronto has a hell of a chance of winning this series. Remember a couple of years ago, nobody thought Cleveland had a chance, and yeah. LeBron James and the Cavaliers went and won Game 7 in Golden State. Yep, they sure did. So it did. can be done. It can't be done. What do you think about Drake, the rapper there, the super fan for the Raptors on the sideline? Some people think that he's out of control, going on the court too much, and his antics are rubbing some people the wrong way, including some officials in the NBA who apparently have told the Raptors, can you settle this guy down? What do you think of him? (laughs) (laughs) Well, what did Draymond Green say? He doesn't shoot and he doesn't pass. So in that sense, listen, you know, the, the, the interesting thing about basketball, and when the Grizzlies were here, we all found that out. Of any of the team sports that you pay to go watch, basketball is the one sport, if you have the cash, you can literally be in the game. Yeah. Like, you're right on the sidelines. Right. I mean, Drake's a little over the top, obviously. I think he has, um, <laughs> he thinks that he's the most important guy in the building sometimes. Yeah. But from a Raptors standpoint, if he's trapped, and he does, and Steve Kerr, the coach of the Warriors, admitted that when they've played the Raptors a couple of times this year, the trash-talking, is going on between Drake and the Warriors players. Right. If it throws them off at all, advantage Toronto. That's part of home court advantage. If your rapper can ruin their, the other team, then you're, you're good to go. Hey, do you miss the NBA in Vancouver? Of course. Yeah. It was, it was horrible what happened here. Yeah. I mean, you know, and the NBA, it's funny, you know, any NBA commissioner, well, David Stern was on the job when they came and when they left, and the new guy, Adam Silver, they always pay lip service to the fact, well, we wish, you know, what happened in Vancouver didn't happen. I mean, if you go back and dissect it, there was a lot of reasons why it didn't work in Vancouver and it did work in Toronto. But one of the ones was, to me, Vancouver just got horribly unlucky. We got the wrong guy in charge and Stu Jackson right away. Um, You know, the wrong players. I mean, remember, remember when they first came in, the two teams, and the first draft, we took Bryant Reeves. Brian Reeves was okay when healthy. Okay. He was okay. He wasn't great. They get Damon Stoudemire, Toronto, who was immediately good. And it always seemed that Toronto would get a guy like Vince Carter or, you know, Tracy McGrady or Chris Bosch. They always seemed to have at least a guy. We never had that guy. We never got the guy. We we got that big country guy. But, of course, we could have had Steve Nash twice, and Stu Jackson turned it down both times. Okay. Hey, Squire, enjoy the series. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. All right, Squire, Squire Barnes, sports guy over at Global BC, and preview of tonight's NBA Finals. Vice President Mike Pence in Ottawa today. He and Prime Minister Justin Trudeau spoke at a joint news conference uh, a few moments ago while speaking. Uh, Prince, uh, Mike Pence praised uh, Canada for negotiating toughly and strongly in uh, trade negotiations, trilateral trade negotiations with the United States and Mexico. Here's Pence. The USMCA is an improvement on NAFTA. Uh, it's a win for American workers. It's a win for American jobs and investment. Uh, and we believe it will create shared prosperity all across North America. And so part of my reason for being here today and accepting the invitation to come to Canada is to continue to uh, uh, put a spotlight on the importance this administration is placing on this agreement. It's U.S. uh, Vice President Mike Pence in Ottawa today. Let's check in with Amanda Connolly now. She's a political reporter with Global News, and she joins us to discuss the meeting today. Hi, Amanda. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thanks a lot for coming on. What's the big takeaway from this uh, event today? I think having watched uh, this press conference between the Prime Minister and the Vice President here, it's safe to say that there are a number of issues where Canada and the U.S. are certainly very united and aligned on, but also a number of others where I think they're at what you can call uh, polite but unmovable loggerheads. 
So we saw this with a couple of different issues, including uh, including Cuba, including the issue of reproductive rights in the U.S., where both leaders saying it's very discussions were very cordial, but neither of them really seemed to have shifted their position much. Um, again, of course, the, the big issue here was NAFTA and the ratification process for that, and we really saw a lot of. Um, a lot of those talks focus on that today, including at the press conference, hearing that this is, again, a priority for the U.S., uh, Pence saying he wants to get this passed through this summer, uh, and Trudeau as well taking the chance to perhaps hit back a little bit at critics who were saying he was focusing a bit too much on the progressive elements of that agreement during negotiations, now saying that with the Democrats holding control of the House of Representatives, those parts are now integral to the future of that deal. What is the status of the deal right now in terms of its uh, ratification? The ratification, well, it really depends what country you're looking at. Of course, uh, Canada has legislation that was tabled yesterday by the by the Prime Minister uh, to begin the ratification process for that. It's a bit of a tight squeeze here. We're looking at about three weeks uh, through the House, uh, potentially four weeks through the Senate before the House rises for the summer. In the U.S., they are still struggling to get a bill on the floor of the House of Representatives. Where We know that there are talks going on with the U.S. trade negotiator and Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House of Representatives, who is a Democrat, as well as a number of other members of the rank and file there, trying to find a solution to the disagreements and the concerns that are being raised in the U.S. amid that highly polarized political atmosphere right now. Mexico as well saying that they're going to put a bill forward to their legislature to push forward ratification. But the big question mark here really still is the U.S. and whether they can come together to get this done. I thought the vice president was pretty gracious to Trudeau today, uh, saying that Trudeau drove a hard bargain here at the bargaining table on this new NAFTA deal. Of course, that contradicts what the opposition conservatives have been saying about Trudeau, They're saying that Trudeau caved in to Trump on all these trade deals, and this is a bad deal for Canada. I mean, w- would we expect uh, Pence to say anything other, though, that to be gracious and kind uh, to the prime minister before they sign the ratify the deal? I don't think so. I think what we've seen so far in terms of the government's relationship with uh, with Pence has been that they're very aware he is, he is a key ally for them and a key partner in these conversations and these talks. Uh, he seems to be, again, aware of that himself, that there is a there is a relationship there and there is a conduit between uh, the Canadian officials and himself that seems to have yielded progress on things, including removing the steel tariffs, more broadly trade talks here as well. We saw Foreign Affairs Minister Christian Freeland giving kind of a call out to Pence last week, saying that, again, he was a very important partner, a uh, very crucial ally for Canada in, in this, these discussions here. And so I really, I wouldn't think that we would see him say anything that would be overly critical or that would jeopardize that, because, again, right. this is the government that we have right now. Okay, speaking to Amanda Conley, Global News a political reporter in Ottawa, about today's meeting with uh, Justin Trudeau and U.S. Vice President Mike Pence. It was interesting, Amanda, to see Trudeau put some other issues on the table. table. Notably, he, as he described it, the backsliding on abortion rights uh, south of the border in the United States. Uh, did, did Pence address that today at all? He did. We saw him, and again, the, both of them were very cordial in this. They were asked about how the discussions went during the press conference. Pence, of course, saying that he... Uh, friends can have differences of opinions, and this is one matter where that's the case, that he remains very concerned about um, certain, again, about abortion and is proud of the, the pro-life and anti-abortion actions that the Trump administration is taking. We know that, of course, he himself has very strong anti-abortion views. Prime Minister right. Justin Trudeau saying that he did raise this issue. He specifically told Pence that Canadians and his government are very concerned about this uh, restriction of abortion, the criminalization of abortion in the U.S., and this is something that they believe is fundamental to a woman's uh, woman's equality is her right to choose. 
So again, very polite mm. loggerheads here, but definitely loggerheads. There's no indication of any change in position or, or progress really between the two parties on this. I, I saw some some commentary uh, um, from some people, Amanda, saying, why is Trudeau bringing up abortion in this meeting with Pence, which is being called to talk about a trade deal? Do you detect some domestic politics by Trudeau here. I noted that in some of his comments, he said he was concerned about uh, reproductive rights backsliding in the United States, but he was also concerned about, as he called it, conservative movements north of the border in Canada, also trying to put the abortion issue back on the table. Is that a shot at Andrew Scheer and the the conservatives? Like, does Trudeau want to see an, an abortion debate break out here in Canada, do you think, before an election? I think that, that the the factors there are really twofold. First of all, I will just say we know that uh, Trudeau's, uh, I guess, kind of style so far has been that he does raise this issue with other leaders in countries where reproductive rights are either at risk or under debate. We know that he raised it during conversations with the Irish Irish Taoiseach Leo Varadkar when that country was in the process of having a referendum to repeal its constitutional ban on abortion. So it certainly fits a pattern that we've seen so far uh, in terms of him him raising this issue in those talks. But again, I think that there there likely is a certain element of domestic politics going on here. Yeah. Global News reported earlier this week that more than 100 Canadian women since 2014 have been sent to the U.S. for abortions. They're not able to get here in Canada due to lack of availability, training, wait times, things like that. And we saw Trudeau respond to that shortly afterwards as well, saying that he will raise this issue with, uh, with Pence because... Given that context, restrictions in the U.S. do have an impact on Canadian women who are having to go there for things they can't get here. So there's certainly that that issue, I think, at play, the fact that this is an, a, a topic that they think that they perhaps have an advantage over the Conservatives on. And I think yeah. that if they think that they have an advantage, they're going to use it. Amanda, thanks for taking the time. Thank you. I appreciate it. That's Amanda Connolly. She's a global news political reporter in Ottawa today. Let's talk about the continuing craziness now at the B.C. legislature. The place is in an uproar once again today. Speaker Daryl Plekis uh, confirming today that he sought to make copies of computer hard drives for some of the key staff in the legislature as he wanted to preserve uh, some of that information as investigations continue at the legislature. Uh, the clerk of the House, the acting clerk, Kate Ryan Lloyd, apparently her computer hard drive was copied. She was in tears at a meeting last night. Also, the acting sergeant-at-arms, Randy Ennis, uh, his computer hard drive was copied, it appears. He announced that he's resigning. Have a listen to this. This is Daryl Plekis speaking a short time ago. A case of my wanting to make sure that we have data secure on mine and other computers, and people did not have to do this. Are staff, I suggested are I, staff quitting because of your actions? I have no idea. You'll have to ask them. All right, that uh, final that question you just heard there was asked by our own Richard Zussman, who joins us on the phone now. Richard, what's going on? <laughs> I wish I knew. So Premier John Horgan is just about to start his session-ending scrum. So I'm outside here at the legislature, but you know, all eyes are on what's unfolded inside today. So what we can gather is that Daryl Pleck has decided that he was going to, uh, for security reasons, uh, 
clone data on computers. And there are some questions about whether he has the right to do that. He is the speaker. He oversees the workings of the legislature. I think most people understand that the computers are work computers. He said it was voluntary only that uh, any member that did not or any staff that did not want to have this done didn't have to. Uh, but it has evolved into something much larger than that. The breaking news now is that the B.C. Liberals have said that they will put forward uh, one of their MLAs to be the speaker if they can get agreement from the government uh, to remove Daryl Plekis as the speaker. The reality of that, Smitty, very unlikely, but it's all part of this unfolding drama. This legislative session started in February with all the questions about the Plekis report that had come out in January, and it has been the overarching theme throughout the legislative session. And I guess it's a little bit soothing uh, that on the last day of session, this is what we're all talking about. Okay, do we know that the computer hard drives of these two officials were indeed copied here? Uh, Kate Ryan Lloyd, the acting clerk, and also Randy Ennis, the sergeant-at-arms who has announced, announced that he's resigning. Were their, were their computer hard drives copied by Plekis? I think first, the, the term for Ennis is retiring. And I think it does have to do with everything that's unfolded here over the last few months, but it's not directly associated with what we've seen unfold in the last 24 hours. I think that's important for the listener to know. But I think a lot of it has to do, there's been this incredible pressure on staff here at the building. Uh, you know, you felt it, I felt it, anyone who works in here has felt this tremendous strain on relationships between the Speaker, the Clerk's Office, Sergeant Arms, Sergeant Arms staff. Uh, and yes, we do know that this data was copied by an IT expert. Uh, Plek has confirmed that when he spoke to us. Uh, but, you know, the question is, you know, w- the big question is why? He says the, he wants to make things uh, more secure. But, you know, why did he do it two days or a day before the session ends? I think those questions are still unknown. Okay, it was interesting that you just noted there, Richard, that the Liberals now are so upset about this that they're even willing to put up one of their own MLAs to be the speaker if they can get rid of Plekis and put one of their own people in. That's significant, right, because it would actually remove the Liberals. A voting member in the chamber would have to sit in the speaker's chair, so it would actually strengthen the NDP's hold on power, would it not? Yeah, exactly. And uh, Premier Horgan has just been asked about this now. I'm trying to eavesdrop a bit of what he's saying. But he says he's responsible for the government and that there's uh, the speaker's responsible for the way that the legislature runs. But you're right about the numbers, right? That's a big part in a minority government here. There was a lot being made of who was going to be the speaker to help the NDP govern. And Daryl Plekis, who was a liberal, made that easier for the NDP by stepping away from the Liberal caucus, sitting as an independent, and serving as speaker. If the Liberals were willing to put someone forward, uh, then that could allow the NDP and the Greens together to continue to govern, would not affect the votes, would not create ties, but there would be questions about whether that speaker would be partisan or could they favor the Liberals. I think there'd be a lot of questions. That still needs a discussion, and it won't happen in the next few hours before these guys break until the fall. So don't expect anything immediate, but it is something that's percolating here. Okay, last question for you, Richard, because I know you're busy there covering all this breaking news, but uh, is 
Plekka, what is the view of Plekis right now? I mean, there's two ways to look at this guy. This guy is always such a conundrum and such a puzzle here. On the one yeah. hand, uh, he's like a bull in a china shop who's doing a lot of uh, very unusual things there. On the other hand, he says, look, I'm just trying to preserve uh, information around here. This was voluntary. People did not have to have their computer hard drive copied, uh, copied if they didn't want to. They had to consent to it. And at the end of the day, this isn't it public information? These are these are public workstations uh, by for public officials at the legislature. So isn't it the people's information? So is he really doing anything wrong? Right. And I don't think he is doing anything wrong. But okay. I think the way he goes about things, Smitty, is very wrong. I think, mm. you know, he we've heard from many that he had a temper tantrum yesterday in a meeting, uh, screaming and yelling about all sorts of things, and then immediately went from these offices to get the data. Like, a lot of this is still unknown. So I think what he's doing is not wrong. How he's doing it, I think, is what people are concerned about. And that's been one of the issues all along. Plekis has a lot of supporters in this province, and I think rightfully so. You know, you've written some columns about he should be thanked for the work he's done to find corruption in the legislature. But beyond that, I think the way he's going about it is problematic. And I think, you know, it's created a lot of uncertainty here. Employees are unhappy. People are leaving because of it. I think all of that, in a time when there's such a heightened sense of insecurity in this place, we need somebody who's going to calm things down, and I don't think he's the guy to do it. Richard, thanks for taking the time. Yeah, thanks, buddy. I appreciate that. It's Richard Zussman. He's the Global BC legislative reporter. Another busy day at the legislature with the continuing uh, developments there.